Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's The Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome into the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, then around the clock for free on demand on our podcast. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. That's GuyBensonShow.com. You can find out more about the program, find some content there and access it. You can get our podcast that I mentioned that's totally free and on demand. Lots of options there. You can also follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show on both Twitter and Instagram. And I did want to welcome to the Guy Benson Show radio family a new affiliate this week joining the team. Hello, KFNX, 1100 AM in Phoenix, Arizona. We are very pleased to have you here. And in fact, we'll be talking a little bit about Arizona politics later on this hour, in all likelihood. So that's KFNX, 1100 AM, Phoenix. Hi. Welcome. Very, very, very delighted that you've joined the team here on The Guy Benson Show. Here's our lineup on this Friday edition, and I should say happy Friday to all of you. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican, Wisconsin, big race in that state. We had the gubernatorial nominee on this show earlier in the week, sticking with the Badger State theme. I'll, in fact, be in that state later this month. Ron Johnson fighting for re-election, a very tight race. We will talk to the senator coming up this hour. In our next hour here in studio, Shannon Bream will join us live. She is about to host and anchor her first ever episode of Fox News Sunday as the permanent anchor. As she was named a few weeks back, 9-11 will be her very first show this coming Sunday. We will talk to her about that show and just this new challenge that she has in her career more broadly. I can't wait to pick her brain about that. Also in our middle hour, Martha McCallum, our colleague here at Fox, will join us live from London, England. She was actually going to be in D.C. today for some political coverage, and then everything changed, hopped on a plane last night to fly over to the U.K., and she is going to be, I think, a very consistent presence on the air when it comes to all things Queen-related. And the upcoming funeral, the tour and speeches of the new king, we will have much to discuss with Martha coming up later. And in our final hour, the happy hour, we will lighten things up to celebrate the 50th birthday, if you can believe it, of our friend and colleague, Kennedy. And I have a couple questions that I've got sort of waiting that I want to toss in her direction as she looks back at the first half century of her very, very cool life, and we will get to that coming up just after 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We begin, though, with a Fox News alert. As I mentioned a moment ago, 
the United Kingdom has a new king forever, it feels like, for my whole lifetime, for my parents' entire lifetime, it was the queen, and God saved the queen. Now it's God saved the king, her heir, her eldest son, King Charles III, who earlier today gave his first speech to the nation as king. We will revisit it a bit later on in the show, but here is part of what he said about his mother, who died yesterday at the age of 96, cut 27. My beloved mother was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. And we owe her the most heartfelt debt any family could owe to their mother for her love, affection, guidance, understanding and example. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. And we will revisit that topic later on in the show. What I'd like to begin with here, though, is American politics and something that we were planning on getting to yesterday. And then, of course, all the news broke over across the Atlantic Ocean. And it's something that I had been predicting. And I'm very glad that we have the opportunity here to talk about it, although it is on some level deeply frustrating. So it was just a few weeks ago that out of nowhere, seemingly, Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin, Democratic senators, announced and hailed the arrival of a deal. When Build Back Better appeared to be dead and all these Democratic spending plans were basically derailed, which, of course, was for the best in the middle of hyperinflation, it seemed like a further bullet had been dodged by the American people and the U.S. economy until this breathless announcement. We have reached an accord. Now, was it as big and as bad as Build Back Better? No. That was, what, $5 trillion in new spending? This one is closer, a little less than $1 trillion in new spending, but it's still just an insane piece of legislation to have passed, particularly given the current circumstances with inflation. Now, they called it the Inflation Reduction Act, which is what they like to do on the left is take something that they're trying to do, call it something popular that's really the opposite of what it truly is, and then slap that name on it and hope that it sticks and people will buy it. Unfortunately for the Democrats, the polling showed pretty dramatically that most Americans, a large majority, like an overwhelming majority of Americans, did not buy the notion that the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, with hundreds of billions of dollars in new spending, was going to reduce inflation. And so that spin job failed on its face. And they started pivoting away and not really talking about it in the context of inflation reduction, which was insulting to begin with, and instead talking about what a an investment, a historic investment it was in the climate, for example, which is really the actual point of the bill, was to spend a huge amount of money on some Green New Deal type stuff. That was the crux of that legislation that they decided to cynically dress up as inflation reduction. And that's, of course, the name that they plastered on it. 
Now, the fig leaf that they proffered on this, and we went through in great detail our opposition to this and why we were strongly against the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, just like we were against Joe Biden's unilateral, I think, illegal scheme on student uh, debt forgiveness, which is also inflationary, deeply unfair, terrible for the economy, and an abuse of power. These are the things that he is doing sort of in this final stretch ahead of the election. One of the arguments that I made, and this goes back to the fig leaf, the Democrats said, well, no, this is technically anti-inflationary because if you look at the CBO score, the nonpartisan score, there will be some deficit reduction. And therefore, that would help reduce inflation. And some of the people who defended the Inflation Reduction Act, I think, and I told you, were being credulous, were being gullible. They were believing that some minor amount of apparent deficit reduction in like 2025 and beyond, I believe 90 plus percent of the deficit reduction was several years from now. That's when it was supposedly going to materialize. I said it's never going to materialize. This is not actually realistic. And some people said, no, no, it is deficit reduction, and this needs to matter, and CBO scores matter. Then, of course, right away, out comes Biden with this trillion-dollar disaster on student loans, which totally swamps even the, I believe, illusory deficit reduction that they were talking about at the time. So it was gone. Within weeks, it was gone. The one little attempt at a justification on the inflation talking point was obliterated by the next move that he made that he made with even more money spent. But this week we got an updated CBO score from the Congressional Budget Office where they analyze legislation. Now, just in the nick of time, right, it's already law, it's been passed, so this basically means nothing now. It has no impact on the passage or the viability of the process, but I think it still matters. Just in the nick of time, CBO has put out their final updated score of the Inflation Reduction Act, and it is dramatically worse. It finds that the Democrat-only bill will increase deficits through 2026. So it will be inflationary. Of course it will. It also found, wait for it, that the IRS will take in an extra $60 billion from taxpayers using increased audits than what was previously estimated. And I understand that they try to tell us, oh, don't worry, the doubling of the IRS and all those tens of thousands of new agents and the enforcement apparatus and all of that, it's just not going to affect you unless you're a big, greedy business or a millionaire. Not true. As we said many times, the Democrats had an opportunity to vote on that exact promise to make sure that there were no new audits per capita, no increase in the audit rate for middle class, working class people. That was a Republican amendment. Every single Senate Democrat voted it down. Their promise was meaningless. And now CBO is saying, oh, yeah, there's actually 60 billion extra dollars that's going to go into this. That the, that the government is going to draw in using increased audits. And if you believe not a single dollar of that $60 billion is going to come from middle class or working class people, then I don't know what to tell you. 
look at what their patterns are on these these enforcement measures in recent years and decades. It absolutely hits the middle and working class people in this country. So the CBO score comes in far too late, but telling us new truth about what the Democrats have passed, increasing deficits for the next, what, four years and a huge windfall, even with the deficit going up, a huge new windfall of $60 billion more than previously estimated from audits in this newly muscular, hugely empowered, doubled in size IRS. This would not have been possible without Joe Manchin deciding that he wanted to do something. He was a no. He has courageously stood up to his party on a number of things, the Democrat from West Virginia. But he decided this was something he was going to do. And another thing that we mentioned was that he assured everyone, including Brett Baer on Fox News Sunday, that there was a secondary piece that he had been assured would be coming down the pike that he had negotiated with Democratic leadership. It wasn't in this bill, but it was going to come later, which was permitting reform on fossil fuel, something that he'd been looking at and and hoping for. And the Democrats said, "Okay, yes, we're going to get that passed. And I wondered out loud here on the show back then, what was it like a month ago? Did he just get rolled? Because Schumer can promise him something, but if they don't have the votes to do it, especially in a closely divided house, if the progressives decide we're going to screw Joe Manchin, we'll let him put his name on this giant spending bill, we'll vote for it. And then this concession that leadership promised him, we never promised him anything, so it just goes away. Manchin said, well, if that were to happen, there would be consequences. A little question mark there. What would that look like? What would consequences look like? Because guess what? Here's Bernie Sanders announcing on the Senate floor, I believe this was yesterday, that almost 60 House Democrats say they are not going to go along with this promise that was made to Joe Manchin. Cut 26. Mr. President, I should also add that at least 59 of our colleagues in the House of Representatives will soon be releasing a letter expressing strong opposition to this side deal. Aha. So the side deal might go away. Who could have possibly seen that coming aside from everyone? I asked Republican senators on this show, do you think he might get screwed by the progressives? They're like, oh, yeah. Mitch McConnell told me he thought that's what was going to happen. Now, the leadership still might roll this thing into a must pass bill like, you know, to fund the government or something. He still might get it, maybe. But it looks like some progressive Democrats are now setting up a fight over this to deny Manchin what he was told. What he was promised. Was it worth it, Senator Manchin? One more point on that question. Was it worth it? Joe Manchin had an approval rating in the mid to high 50s in West Virginia before he flip-flopped and went with Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and caved on this Inflation Reduction Act. He was doing quite well, and people were pleased with his independence and his maverick status in that state. Since he flipped, since he changed, since he went down the path, the partisan path with his fellow Democrats, guess what his approval rating now is in West Virginia in a brand new poll? This is the favorability rating, 26 percent. With 66 percent unfavorable, he's 40 points now underwater because he went with his party over his state. And a lot of that goodwill he'd been building, whoa, just poof. He's got a couple years to try to rebuild it, or maybe not. I'm looking at now some hypothetical head-to-heads for his re-election campaign in 2024. He is trailing 
by double digits to multiple potential Republican challengers now when he was tied or ahead in the polling before this cave job. Was it worth it, Joe? If the numbers continue to be bad for him, he's either going to consider switching parties to the Republicans or announcing that he's not seeking reelection in 2024, in which case I actually would be worried that this guy would go full lib and start voting with his party on everything because what would he have to lose at that point? He's already going to leave. Or he's going to have to really tack even further to the right to try to make up some of this ground. It will be fascinating to watch what he does in the next couple of years. But at least for now, this is looking like a huge error and blunder on his part politically and on policy. And the pain could continue if he gets the rug pulled out from under him on this side deal as well. We got a break. Just getting started. More American politics to get to, plus some stuff from the U.K., of course, as well. It is the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Guy Benson will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Guy Benson. I want to take a look at some polling in some key races around the country. I know overall, it seems like the environment has shifted a little bit toward the Democrats. I think some of that might be overhyped. We'll see. Republicans and conservatives have to stay motivated. Turnout is the whole ballgame. But here are a few that I've seen recently that are interesting. Just in the last couple of days, we welcomed our new Arizona affiliate in Phoenix this week, just at the top of today's show. New poll from Emerson. The governor's race is exactly tied in that race, and the Senate race is virtually tied. Mark Kelly, 47, Blake Masters, 45. Masters getting heavily outspent. The Republicans got to get their act together there and get that campaign the money that they need, but it's a two-point race, according to Emerson. A dogfight. In Florida, where we have also an affiliate, Ron DeSantis in a new Fox 35 poll, up five points statewide over Charlie Crist. Rubio, Marco Rubio on the Senate side, up two. And then a Fox 5 poll in Atlanta for our listeners on Extra down there. Brian Kemp leading Stacey Abrams by eight points in the governor's race. You love to see that. And then in the Senate side, Herschel Walker plus three over Senator Warnock. That's the third poll in the last two weeks that has Herschel Walker now edging ahead. Interesting. We have the longtime football superstar on this show next week. Looking forward to that interview. The Guy Benson Show will be right back. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is free every day. Thanks for listening. Well, we were just running through some of the polling from some important Senate races around the country, looking at Florida, looking at Georgia, looking at Arizona. Another hugely important race is in Wisconsin, where Senator Ron Johnson is up for re-election. It is a tough fight for him. We just had Tim Michaels on the show a few days ago who's running for governor in that state. So we're just sticking with the Wisconsin theme as I will be in the Badger State the week after next. Senator Johnson, welcome back to the show. Well, Guy, I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I want to talk all about your race and your opponent. We'll get to that in just a moment. I do want to ask you a policy question. I've seen some of your comments on this, and it's just something that I'm personally interested in. It's this same-sex marriage bill that passed the House, now in the Senate. Your colleague, Senator Portman, was on a special report earlier in the week saying that right now it looks like they're trying to make some changes to the bill on religious liberty. You had indicated a while back that you were not opposed to the bill. Now you're saying in its current form you wouldn't support it. Seems to me like you've got a pretty moderate position on this, a fairly sensible one. Uh, Where are you coming down on this, and is there a version of the bill that could potentially earn your support when it comes to the floor? Well, first of all, I always supported civil unions. I would have thought that would have been the solution. But when the Supreme Court ruled, I said, okay, this is, you know, here's one divisive issue that's put behind us now. Uh, I I see no scenario whatsoever for the Obergefell decision to be overturned. I mean, this is where stare decisis is really quite strong. You're not going to disrupt millions of lives. This isn't like Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision where you're protecting life proactively. So again, this is unnecessary completely. This is the left, these are the Democrats, opening up a wound that didn't need to be opened up. I mean, they just just can't help themselves. And so, you know, initially, because I basically had that view, it's like, yeah, I thought this was a settled issue. Let's just move on, okay? Um, But, you know, I actually listen to people. And I think people started expressing very legitimate, very serious concerns in terms of religious liberty if you actually enact a, a law like this, more so than just the Supreme Court decision. So uh, in order for me to even consider supporting this, there'd have to be very, very strong protections. And the problem here, Guy, these legal issues are complex. I mean, you know the left. I mean, you give them an inch, they're going to take 5,000 miles. So it's, it's very difficult to contemplate all the different ways that they could utilize this type of law to basically attack people. And that, that's what they do. I mean, and they'll continue to divide this nation. Uh, you, know, you, you saw President Biden, the divider in chief. Uh, again, my, my, my main point on this thing is literally this was a settled issue. Let's just let sleeping dogs lie. Let's move on. But they won't. They've got to they've got to bring up another divisive issue. Yeah. And I tend to agree with you that a Burgerfell isn't going anywhere. I don't think they even have four votes to take up a challenge, let alone five to overturn it. I think it would be probably six to three or even more lopsided than that. Hypothetically, I think that it's sort of manufactured of an issue in that sense. I am supportive of the bill. I'm perfectly open to more uh, protections on religious liberty that I support. And if they can get those into the bill, all the better. I understand the point that you're making here. I hope that maybe in the Senate the process will result in a better bill and sort of have it be a backstop that is ultimately unnecessary but can maybe put some minds at ease, including a lot of my gay friends who ask me, how can you be a conservative if you're in a same-sex marriage and these people are against it? And I think that 
There's a lot of talking past each other going on. And a lot of your underlying points about this, I, I agree with. And we may end up on the same page on the bill itself. Maybe not. We'll see what the final language looks like. Senator, I want to ask you about the race. A big reelection fight up in Wisconsin. I'm so old <laughs> that I remember back in 2016, you were left for political debt, right? The party cut off your your money. It's like, all right, they're going to triage. Johnson's gone. They have to put money elsewhere in these other races. And then, boom, against basically all of the expectations and polling, you won re-election 2016 in a surprising way. And I see a lot of people who seem to have forgotten that saying, oh, well, some of the polls, you know, he looks like he's behind by a few points. You know, maybe he's cooked. Uh, I feel like we have some fairly recent evidence here that people might want to hold off on that analysis until, I don't know, maybe November 9th. I think you pretty well accurately described what happened in 2016. I think there was something like 52 or 56 public polls. 52 of those had me losing and by an average margin of, you know, they got it wrong by about 9%. I ended up winning about 3.4%. So again, I don't know, it's just impossible to poll nowadays, whether uh, I do suspect some of these polls are designed to dispirit supporters, uh, dispirit uh, potential uh, donors, that type of thing. Wisconsin's always going to be close. It's going to be raised within margins. I, mean, I think it starts off that way. I think it ends that way. So I, I, I pretty well discount the polls. Uh, there's only one poll that counts. I think that's uh, pretty obvious. But, you know, Guy, I'm, I'm running against a radical leftist who's hiding out in sheep's cold. Uh He's taking a page out of President Biden's uh, book. I, I'm not saying he's hiding in the basement, but he's in hiding. He can't afford to have Wisconsinites know his views on the issues. Uh, he, he thinks the America, the founding of America was awful. For some reason, he thinks our national parks are racist. Uh, he supports all of the disastrous policies that have given us open borders, the flow of Ill, illegal and deadly drugs, uh, 40-year high inflation, record gas prices, uh, rising crime. He actually wrote the law, didn't get passed, but he wrote the law to uh, let out criminals without bail. You know, they, they propose, their administration has proposed cutting our prison population in half. Just let people out. Um, so he's unbelievably soft and dangerous on crime. Uh, again, he's a radical leftist, but he's hiding from the media. He, he won't answer questions. He doesn't do press conferences. He does these little cutesy ads, makes him seem like a moderate. He's nothing even close to a moderate. His, he's supported by the groups that lead the defund police effort, although he says, oh, I you know, really don't want to defund police, always happy to reallocate funds away from them. Um, I guess he saw somebody with the Abolish Ice T-shirt, wanted one, got it, got a big old picture of him with a grin on his face, Abolish Ice, but he said, no, I really don't mean to abolish ice. So he's, he's willing to <laughs> lie, and that's, of course, their entire campaign against me, lies, distortions, uh, character assassination, the politics of personal destruction, because they simply can't defend Democrat policies of destroying this country. Yeah, I think it's important to underscore the point that Senator Johnson just made. There are some candidates in some of these races for Senate, for governor, where they're, you know, they're liberal Democrats, and I disagree with them on most issues. And in some of the races, you know, you think about Nevada and Catherine Cortez Masto, and you think about Arizona and Mark Kelly and some of these other ones, where they are just Maggie Hassan, New Hampshire, just rubber stamps for Joe Biden. Whatever Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer want— they get. And I think that's bad enough. I think that that is an indictment of them and they deserve to lose those races. Then there are people running who are radical. 
Those people are far too progressive and liberal and I think wrongheaded and deserve to lose. And then there's the next step, which is radical people who believe radical things way out there on the left, including John Fetterman in Pennsylvania and including Mandela Barnes, who is the opponent of Senator Johnson in Wisconsin. He just ran through a couple points that you might just be sitting there thinking like, oh, gosh, that sounds too crazy to be true. It's not. And, Senator, we were just talking about some of this insane soft on crime stuff in Illinois yesterday. And Mandela Barnes wants to basically Chicagoify Wisconsin. That has been his position on crime and then a host of other issues. He's not kind of just like, you know, a mainstream center left, you know, purple state Democrat. He is way out there in the Bernie, Liz Warren, hardcore activist wing of that party. It's like, you know, kind of the the AOC inspired part of the party. I don't think it's it's overstating it to say that. No, because they've all they've all uh, endorsed him. You know, during the Kenosha riots, uh, he gets out there, does a press conference, and says that the police were basically carrying out a vendetta against Jacob Blake. He just incited the riots. Wow. So no, no, he is a radical leftist. But the problem here is we have as conservatives across the nation, the mainstream media, uh, they're no longer journalists. You know that guy. They're, they're advocates for, of the left, um, and so they're covering up for him. They're, they, they, he won't do interviews with them but that's okay they're really not pressing him on it uh they will they will cover up for him left and right they will never they will never tell the truth about him uh so really what's on the ballot here in wisconsin is truth versus lies distortion character assassination and the mainstream media is firmly lined up in the camp of the lies the distortions and the character assassinations against me so it's it's tough battle uh, Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Uh, you know, they're going to spend probably 100 million bucks against me. They've already spent over 50 uh, assassinating my character. So if you want to help me save this U.S. Senate seat, Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Fundraising has been an issue, uh, not just for your campaign, but for a lot of these Republican campaigns. I think a lot of Republican voters and donors are sort of like, oh, it's a red wave. It's in the bag. You know, Biden's awful. He's unpopular. It's going to be fine. Well, Not necessarily. In very close races, money can make a difference. The ability of you and your team to push back on sort of this this blizzard of stuff that they're throwing at you and the media is complicit in it. You need resources in order to be able to do that because you were saying, look, he is he's hiding out. He's getting a free pass. None of that is surprising at all. How are you going to overcome that? How do you get the truth about his record and your record out there? And how do you believe that you can win this race in spite of some of these things that are might be stacked against you? Well, in his primary course, the Democrat opponents never laid a hand on him. Uh, they, they actually withdrew from the race, even though one, one of the primary opponents had spent $12 million. And he still withdrew from the race to just clear the field for the most radical leftists. So, you know, we are starting to define Mandela Barnes. I mean, the nice thing is all we have to do to win this is is get the truth out there. We can tell the truth. The only way they can win is to lie, distort, and again, assassinate my character. So, but again, we'll get no help from the, the mainstream media. Obviously, I use shows like this. I'm I'm all over media. Always have been, by the way. Very accessible. Wisconsin knows exactly where I stand on issues because I think it's important. I think it's my responsibility to let Wisconsinites know who I am and you know what what I'm supporting. Um, but again, Mandela Barnes uh, won't tell us the truth, so we need the resource to tell the truth about him. 
Coming back to policy to close out our discussion here, Senator, I opened the show today talking about the new CBO score. I know very exciting stuff here on talk radio, but the new CBO score of the Democrats so-called Inflation Reduction Act, where CBO has found in their final analysis, oh, actually, we're going to see increased deficits under this law through 2026, 60 billion additional dollars coming into federal coffers from audits by this newly empowered IRS This promise they made to Joe Manchin on permitting reform is looking at least imperiled because a bunch of progressives now are saying they're not really interested in playing ball on that. And then on top of all of it, you've got this inflation bomb of the student, you know, bailout on the on the debt forgiveness. That's so unfair to so many Americans and Wisconsinites. I mean, we are really seeing some of the stakes of who runs the country in stark relief. In these last couple of weeks, including some of the action in the U.S. Senate, your thoughts on some of these moves that we've seen from the Democrats as we're getting close to the home stretch of the campaign? Well, the Democrats have now become the party of the elite. And it's literally Republicans. We're the ones that are standing up and sticking up for the working men and women of this country. I mean, that transfer, $300 billion to a trillion dollars of uh, debt transfer onto the backs of people that either scrimped and saved and paid off their college loans or never went to college at all. You know, again, the working men and, and the working men and women of America—they're going to be shouldering that burden because Joe Biden wants to uh, buy votes you know, for the graduate degrees, that type of thing. So, uh, no, it's—I it's, uh, think Americans' eyes are starting to open up to this. It's not being helped by the media. Again, I, I can't understate how t- difficult it is when you, the radical left is pretty well taken over every institution in this country. But they can really control the media, and so they control the narrative. Uh, We've got an uphill uh, battle to climb here, and uh, I'm doing everything I can. I'm I'm working my tail off. Yep. And as we know, and as we talked about it near the top of the interview, uh, you've been down before. You've been down big in the polls before, and then you've pulled it out. When push comes to shove and Wisconsin is kind of a 50-50 state, it's a turnout game. And if you can get your message out, and people turn out in force, I think we can see another six years in the U.S. Senate for Ron Johnson. But it won't just happen automatically, and the radicalism of Mandela Barnes won't sink him automatically. Like, work has to be done here. The message has to be delivered. And part of what we're doing here is trying to shine a spotlight on some of these important races with the balance of power in the U.S. Senate hanging by a thread for the Democrats, All of these close races are extremely important, which is why we were very pleased to have Senator Ron Johnson, the incumbent, a Republican from Wisconsin here on the show today. And, Senator, perhaps we'll talk again before November 8th, but uh, it's a big one coming up and we wish you luck here. Appreciate everything you do. Take care. You bet. That's Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator, on The Guy Benson Show. We'll step aside and be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. 
King Charles III today in his first address to the nation as king following the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, yesterday at age 96. He also said this, a message of thanks in Cut 31. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late Papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. There was a prayer service today at, I believe, St. Paul's Cathedral, and we covered some of that on the news channel. The Prime Minister spoke, Liz Truss. Martha McCallum is in London. She's hosting right now her, her show, The Story, anchoring from London. She'll be joining us live coming up in the next hour, and we will get a sense of her feelings and her thoughts. She's been following the royal family very closely for so long. She leads so much of our coverage over there whenever anything happens. I'm really eager to talk to Martha about her perspective on this and also what she's seeing and hearing on the ground in London from the British people who are grappling with this loss of an icon after 70 years plus on the throne. Another hour coming up. Shannon Bream, the new anchor of Fox News Sunday, is here with me live in studio when we come back. city in the world unconventional talk from a fresh unconventional conservative guy benson show our middle hour is underway on this friday edition of the guy benson show thank you so much for being here between 3 and 6 p.m eastern every weekday then around the clock on demand for free on our podcast GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcast. Bonus Benson on the weekends as well. You don't want to miss that. At Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. Send us a follow if you would. And as we get into this middle hour, let's start with a Fox News alert. With the Dow having another good day, up 377 points, closing out the week at 32,151. I am very pleased to welcome here in studio Shannon Bream, and I'm going to have to give a brand new intro with the new title for the first time here on the show, Shannon Bream, Chief Legal Correspondent at Fox News. Yes, you knew that. Also, anchor of Fox News Sunday, starting this Sunday, September 11th, her first show as the permanent host of that Sunday program. It's a huge deal. She's also host of the podcast Live in the Bream, She's written best-selling books, most recently, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. 
And Shannon, I know I briefly snuck it in on TV once already with you, but just in person here, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am for you and for our audience that you've got this show and you're going to be sitting in that very important seat, hopefully for many years to come. Congratulations. Thank you, my friend. It is an honor. We're all in the same family. I'm just moving down the hall a little ways from where I've been. Slightly um, different hours. Slightly different hours. I'm super <laughs> excited uh, just to take on this new challenge. I mean, there's been such an amazing... We're sitting in the Tony, Sto- Tony Snow radio uh, studio. So just thinking about the foundation he laid and Chris Wallace and the years of journalism that they did. We're just excited to build on that. And I want to ask you all about that in a moment. But first, something else that's on this Mm -hmm. sort of avalanche of stuff that you're constantly up to. They keep you very busy here. They keep all of us pretty busy here, don't they? And we love it. A Fox Nation special Mm -hmm. on the life and times and legacy of Queen Elizabeth II Mm -hmm. in her own words, obviously extremely timely, with the Queen dying yesterday at the age of 96. Just your overall thoughts on this, and and why should people maybe check out the special, given so much coverage Mm -hmm. that people are already seeing? What's unique about this Fox Nation special? i got to give huge props to our Fox Nation writers, producers, editors, everybody throwing this together, because they're literally doing this in about 24 hours that we've got this project done. I was amazed at all of the old video that they found. You will hear her in her words, but other people, their thoughts, like what Winston Churchill thought of her um, being so young when she took the the throne. And then obviously they have this very um, back and forth relationship where she was advising prime ministers, getting them through war times, through cultural massive shifts and change over time. So you hear from her at all those different stages of her life, Um, 70 years. It's hard to sum that up, but archival footage, all kinds of things in this special I haven't seen anywhere else. Well, that sounds intriguing. Mm -hmm. And there's so much attention being paid to this woman and what she did for so long. Just even hearing the name Winston Churchill. Crazy. She was the queen (laughs) when he was prime minister. I saw a statistic on social media that, and I'm going to get the dates, I think, roughly correct. Churchill was born around 1874. 1874 was when he was born. The current prime minister, Liz Truss, Mm -hmm. who was just welcomed Mm -hmm. by the queen on Tuesday before Mm -hmm. she died, Liz Truss was born in 1975. Yes. A century. Right. A century. Yes. And that just sort of blows my mind. It's also, you know, we're we're both relatively young, but it's— Well, speak for yourself. Well, I'll I'll speak for you, too— Many people around the world, most people around the world, do not remember planet Earth without mm-hmm. the Queen of England being her. Yeah. And it's sort of jarring, and I think it hasn't really sunk in yet, that that's going to change mm-hmm. in such a significant way. I just wonder what mm-hmm. your reflections are on that. Well, didn't it seem that she was kind of immortal in some way? We thought she'd always be around. And just two or three days ago, we had the picture of her greeting the new prime minister, Liz Truss. And so she looked great. She did. And I think... We were all shocked that this was such a sudden thing because she was so hardy. She, you know, survived the the heartbreaking death of her husband. They've been together for decades. Um, she and got just, through COVID a few months she ago. She got through COVID. I am so glad she got to have her Platinum Jubilee and see the wonderful tributes and the music and the notes and the love just outpouring to her from people thanking her for her duty and her service. So it is so strange. I, I think it's going to take us a minute to get used to seeing King Charles. Um, I'm still stumbling over that. Um, but what a uh, right. mark king. that she leaves. They do kings? I right? know, a king now. And he's Charles III, which is Correct. much better than George III, I just want to say. I think we should stick with Charles. For the record, yeah. yeah. That sounds a lot better to me <laughs> as an American. 
I want to shift to this huge weekend that you have ahead for you. As the anchor now of Fox News Sunday, you mentioned the legacy here. Mm-hmm. Tony Snow, for years, pioneering the program. Chris Wallace, this you know journalistic titan who asked so many very hard questions of so mm-hmm. many people and ended up moderating multiple presidential debates you know, in general election settings. How are you planning to put your mark on not just this show, but this kind of show, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of a D.C. institution, the Sunday shows. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm invited on the panel, I'm like, ooh, you know, it's sort of like – Fancy. It's like the adults' table. Like, this is, <laughs> right. This I'm, kind one, of to, I'm out of the kids' table. Yeah, let's really not screw this one up. How do you go through the process in your own mind of upholding a standard Mm -hmm. but also making it yours? There's a fantastic team in place there who has worked with Chris for years and even, you know, a couple staffers, at least one dating back to Tony Snow years too. So they've been part of this building process, these building blocks all these years. It will always be at its core hard news, straight news, policy, lawmakers, wonky stuff, newsmakers – but, you know, I think we have a little uh, a twist this weekend, and then we have Andy Pettit. I saw this. Right. Big so, number 46, the lefty, wicked pickoff move. Yes. A great Yankee from my childhood Back in the those, day. those World Series teams. Yeah. So we feel like there are other voices that we can bring in that aren't strictly inside the Beltway um, or at the head of a state house, but people that have other interesting viewpoints. I'll include things that are cultural, faith-based, entertainment, sports. Andy's going to be with us this weekend talking about that game where George Bush, President Bush 43, threw out that pitch at the World Series that kind of felt like it united all of us in those weeks after Mm 9-11. And Andy was there. He's part of that game. He threw a strike from the rubber. It was, for real, probably one of the best. In a bulletproof vest. Um, It's one for the ages. And I think it took us out of politics for a minute. Sports was very unifying. We were all kind of rallying for this commander-in-chief who had such a horrific thing to deal with in our history. Um, and Andy is still doing work for first responders with Tunnel to Towers. So we're just going to talk to him about his remembrances as we're going to do a lot of 9-11 stuff during the show. Uh, that was actually Mr. Bream's idea. He said, you should try to get one of the players oh, cool. from that game. And so I said, huh, let's do it. I wonder if Andy Pettit feels, as I do, that it was extremely selfish and rude of the Arizona Diamondbacks <laughs> to win that World Series. Yeah, come on. Over the Yankees in New York. Come on. Ugh. Was not happy about that. Throw a game or two. <laughs> well, they kind of did, actually, with a <laughs> couple blown saves, some epic home runs and late Yeah, but late the, real, the whole thing. I mean, come on. The yeah. Yankees have a few rings. Uh, they they yeah. do. They have uh, 27. But who's and, counting? And counting, hopefully. I do want to ask you also this, because when the news broke sort of within the media world, Shannon Bream got the gig. He's been the rotating host. Mm-hmm. A lot of people did a very good job. I, I oh, fantastic. Like. And I love that people got to see so many different correspondents and anchors from Fox because we've got such amazing, talented colleagues. I love, and they all have kind of their own personality, their strength of topic areas. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's been kind of not maybe a blessing for the producers who had to you know jump in with different people every week, but for the viewers to see uh, a lot of our Fox family. Yeah, people did a great job, and I was – fortunate enough to be on a number of panels with different people. It's like, oh, this person is plausible. This person could do it great. And it ended up with you. And as someone who I consider a friend, I was just so happy. I texted you immediately. (laughs) You've got a lot of people just rooting for you and and just delighted by this decision. The one thing that popped into my mind, and Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about this, and I hope you don't think it's out of line. I I won't at all. Okay. Fox News at Night at Midnight, which is your show until <laughs> yes. recently, right? It's mm. it's Gutfeld leading up to it. At right. the very end of the show, the way he tosses to you, he calls you the evil 
Shannon Bream. Yes. And it's funny. It's a joke because you are notorious <laughs> for being the nicest person at this network. Like, mm-hmm. amid a lot of nice people, you are we the nicest. You do have a lot of great people. You well, are the, thank you for putting me in their company. Well, I, I'm, I'm putting you above their company. I'm saying you're the nicest person okay. here. But wait for it, though. How are you going to ask mm-hmm. really tough questions? And sometimes, frankly, in these settings with really serious matters where you have mm-hmm. to corner someone, you kind of have to be a little bit of an, an a-hole sometimes yes, you do. to get answers. And it seems like that isn't really dispositionally you. Is that mm-hmm. something that you think about? Of course. Like, I think are you too have... nice for the gig? Well, yes, I've been asked that. Uh, and I do think you can be an a-hole, <laughs> a.k.a. with a smile on your face. Um, I really – listen, I grew up in the South where I, I, I used to have a really heavy Southern accent. When I go home, I still have it. And I like that because people kind of underestimate you. And I think that about niceness too. But I kind of map out these shows like I did as a lawyer. I, I know where my roadmap is taking me. So, for example, when we had Colorado Governor Jared Polis on, there have been all these fact checks about whether or not the new Colorado law actually meant you getting an abortion up until the day a baby was scheduled to be born. And fact checkers kept saying, no, that's being mischaracterized. Well, I kept reading the law and I'm like, well, I, that language seems like it to me. And he, the governor, to his credit, was so nice. He was such a great guest. He didn't want to say that on the air. So you have to ask it two, three, four different ways. Like, nope, I'm looking at the text of the law. This is what it and says. And you wouldn't deny – I was on the panel that day. Right, so you I remember. Was, I was watching it in the green room. I'm like, he is not denying right, this really can't. radical thing about that mm-hmm. bill. And also, that same day, you had the governor, I believe, of I think, Nebraska? Uh, I, was that the day we had uh, Governor Stitt from Oklahoma? It was Oklahoma. That's yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. And and you pushed him really same hard thing with him. in yeah. the other direction right. on the issue of abortion, mm-hmm. which is obviously a tricky a and, toughy, and uh, yeah, loaded It's a really issue. tough one. But I think you can do that with a smile on your face and still say to people, I'm holding the paper right here. This, these are the words that it says. So are you denying that or are you you know admitting that's what it is? Are you nervous for Sunday? I think I should. Yeah, you should be a little bit nervous. Um, I'm trying not to get psycho nervous. Um, I just feel like I'm not in this alone. I think the Fox News Sunday team is amazing. I think our Fox family, our panelists, our reporters, everybody who's going to be a part of this show, I don't feel like I'm in it alone. I I feel like it's very much a team effort. And you've got quite a lineup on the show this weekend, a senator from each side, Mm -hmm. Tim Scott, Republican, South Carolina, John Tester, Democrat, Montana. You mentioned Andy Pettit, Mm -hmm. the uh, the uh, pitching great from the New York Yankees, great panel, Molly Hemingway, Juan Williams, Jonathan Swan, Peter Ducey. There's the 9-11 component here, yeah. too. Your first show in this mm-hmm. role is on this anniversary of a devastating day. There is the news of the day. There's the reflection mm-hmm. on that uh, 21 years ago, that atrocity here in the United mm-hmm. States. Then you've got the death of the queen mixed in. It's sort right. of a very interesting moment in time to be making your debut this way it is and you always want to have news i mean you don't wish any anyone ill but you want breaking new information so we have all these big world developments and national developments this important day of 9-11 that we memorialize so we're doing all of that in the show and we will have those moments that are happening live with the president with others around the country marking those observances we also have a very special guest i don't think i'm allowed to announce yet in the A Block, who will be here as our expert on all things royal and the queen, who has a very important voice in this whole thing. So I think we'll be able to announce that shortly. Oh. So um, we just, we're going, we're loading it heavy on the guests. You know what I mean? You, we, you can't we, break that news here on the Guy Benson show, Shannon? I would. I'm checking my email. Like, can I say who this is? And the answer is still no. 
But okay. we should know soon. So, yeah, we want to cover all of our bases. And we see, thought, see, I'm pressuring her to do something. Oh, and, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. I just got an email from the one and only Andrea DeVito that we can tell you. Um, we have Ambassador Hartley. She is the U.S. ambassador to the U.K. Oh, wow. She's going to be live with us from London to talk about, you know, the president's involvement and in going over to the funeral. Um, obviously, the U.S.-U.K. relationship is deep and strong, and we'll talk about those ties. So I'm glad to say we can now officially say the ambassador will join us, too. There we go. So quite a lineup for day one of mm-hmm. hopefully many Sundays with Shannon Bream in the anchor chair. Check your local listings on your local Fox station. The show replays on Fox News Channel during the day. That'll mm-hmm. be on Sunday. And... Uh, Break a leg. We're pulling for you. I can't wait to watch many examples of Shannon Bream being an a-hole with a smile. You can do it, people. Maybe that should be my new motto. I'll get T-shirts. You can put it on your business card. Being an a-hole with a smile. (laughs) Shannon Bream. uh, So thrilled. Can't wait to watch. Thank you. Thank you for not mentioning my Dorito breath, too. I mean, sometimes you have to eat a bag of Doritos for lunch when you're busy. See, if you had not mentioned it to me, I would have never noticed. But you, it was nacho cheesier, which is the superior. Right, the original. Yes, I don't okay, like Okay, we the agree. Cooler ranch, I'm not so much I feel a like that's of, a stomach so. ache waiting to happen. I think that's right. All right, thank you, Guy. It is so good to see you. You too. And we'll talk again soon, and we'll be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Martha McCallum joining us live from London in the next segment. But first, this insane story out of Nevada. Have you heard about this? Uh, There's a chance you have not, actually. Here's the headline. Nevada County official charged in connection with death of investigative journalist. The Politico story reads like this. Here's the lead. Police in Las Vegas have charged a local elected official with murder in connection with the stabbing death of Jeff German, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal, who had spent the last few months exposing misdeeds and turmoil inside that official's office. Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis, a 45-year-old Democrat, was taken into custody on Wednesday after police conducted a search in his home. On Thursday, Sheriff Joseph Lombardo, who I will say, by the way, is running for governor as a Republican in that state, told reporters that Tellus had been charged with murder after authorities found positive of positive match for his DNA with the genetic material found underneath Gehrman's fingernails, who I guess was like, you know, clawing back and trying to fight back in this struggle, in this stabbing death. Tellus appeared in court for the first time on Thursday afternoon where a judge ordered he be held without bail until his arraignment. Tellus was the subject of a series of explosive articles by Gehrman, the journalist, which described a mismanaged office where employees accused Tellus of bullying, favoritism, and allegedly an inappropriate relationship with another county official. After Gehrman's initial reporting this spring, Tellus lost his reelection bid, coming in third in the Democratic primary. According to the Review-Journal, Gehrman had been seeking additional records regarding the public administrator's office, which oversees the estates of deceased people. Tellus made no secret of his disdain for the journalist, who had spent 40 years in Las Vegas reporting on corruption and crime. And boy, there's a lot of corruption out in Nevada. Among the city's most powerful residents, including elected officials and operators. And Tellus had tweeted publicly calling this journalist uh, a liar and putting together smear pieces and all of this. 
Um, he said of this journalist, I think he's mad I haven't crawled into a hole and died. And then allegedly he murdered the journalist. So I suspect this story might be a little bit bigger on the national stage if the alleged culprit were a MAGA Republican, given all the attacks directed at those types of uh, candidates and officials recently. But here's a Democrat who has allegedly murdered an investigative journalist for the investigative journalism he did against him. And it's sort of like being treated kind of as a local news story out there. I saw at foxnews.com, ABC, CBS, NBC, and MSNBC, to the extent that they covered this at all, just failed to mention, weirdly, that the suspect is a Democrat. I'm sure that's just an oversight and a coincidence and a mistake, right? Has to be. We'll follow that. On The Guy Benson Show, Martha McCallum coming up. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We are halfway through the show here today. On this Friday, thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website podcast, free of charge, on demand, 24-7, including bonus Benson on the weekends. Joining us now from London is Martha McCallum, executive editor and anchor of The Story at 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, also Fox News Politics co-anchor, author of the book Unknown Valor. And Martha, it's good to have you here. Hi, Guy. Great to be with you. Well, we were going to be together on set for the story here in D.C. today, and then the news broke yesterday, and I said to myself, you know, I don't think I'm going to be on set with Martha in D.C. I think she might be getting on an airplane (laughs) to head over to the U.K. You have been over there to cover so many happy and interesting human interest stories involving the royal family and, and often leading the Fox News coverage. Here, obviously, is this end of an era, this iconic queen that has been on the throne for both of our entire lives and obviously a much more somber occasion. What are your reflections on this queen that you have been fascinated by and you have covered her and her family to one extent or another for many years? Just how are you personally feeling today now that she's gone? Well, I'll tell you, Guy, one thing that really comes to me is that I can't imagine, if you try to think of another person who would evoke this kind of global reaction and response, I can't even think of anyone who even comes close in terms of coverage and interest in that person's life. And I think there are sort of a handful of great icons when you look at history um, you know, you think of, of Gandhi, you think of someone like Mother Teresa, you think of Queen Elizabeth, you think of Diana, clearly an icon, you think of Elvis, clearly an icon. So there's really a small club of people who belong in this kind of legendary status because of the way they live their lives and the things that they accomplish. And when you think about her breadth of history, you know, she really is so closely associated with World War II as a young woman growing up in Great Britain when they were under siege and the victory that they helped to propel, which helped save the rest of Europe and the rest of the world from a world that was dominated by Germany and Japan. And then it goes all through all of these changes and, you know, everything changing around her throughout 
the 60s and the 70s and then the Diana phase, and yet she sort of maintains this center of what she cares about, just always going back to those issues of the crown, integrity, values, standing up for your country, putting your country before yourself. And she has just been this incredible story and an incredible woman uh, who has touched the lives of so many other history-making individuals throughout the course of her life that it just makes her a truly fascinating figure. You've been on the ground not for terribly long. Uh, It's a city that you know well, a country that you know well. Uh, I'm sure that there are Brits that you interact with whenever you're over there, some people or relationships or friendships that you forge. And then, of course, there's just people that you see out and about. How would you describe the mood in the country? Because I've seen interviews, and it seems like there's a lot of affection and stiff upper lip stuff and not people, you know, breaking down in tears on the air or in interviews or that sort of thing. But the sadness also comes through and is and is visceral in its own way. What are you experiencing over there? Well, there's, there is a lot of emotion. I've seen people, you know, sort of teary in the streets as they're putting their flowers down. I think they thought of her as sort of a, a grandmother, as kind of a person, a presence in their life throughout the course of, of their entire lives. And that is um, is difficult to sort of it's it, when when something like this happens, it's like an era in your life is over also of that constant, the, the person that you always thought of as being in the background for you. But I also think that people are celebrating her life. She was 96 years old. And I think that the Jubilee I, was such a great event because she got yeah. to sort of see this outpouring. It's almost like she went to her own funeral in a strange way. She got to listen to all of these people talking about her life and movies that were made about her. And her face was all splashed across the front of Buckingham Palace in different decades of her life. They had buses, you know, going around with music coming out of them and pictures all over the sides representing different decades of her life. So that it's really great that she got that amazing celebration before she passed, because I think she got to see that outpouring of affection. And I think it made people feel like they almost had a a really good, solid goodbye with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if you've got to go, perhaps age 96 after a giant national celebration in your honor a few months prior and you die surrounded by your loved ones at your favorite castle in the country, it could be worse. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's so true. Let me ask you about the king. And it it feels weird to even say that. We were talking to Shannon Bream about it earlier, to say the king. Here's Charles, forever was Prince Charles and all the Diana stuff. Now he's King Charles III. He gave his first speech as king uh, earlier today. We covered it on the network. We played snippets of it here on the radio show. Uh, What did you think of the speech? Let's start with that. And then maybe to expand a little bit, what shoes does this man now have to try to fill? What standard has been set for him? Because it seems almost impossibly high in some ways. You know, I I think there's no other way of looking at it than that Charles will be sort of an interim king. You know, I think everyone looks to William for sort of this bright future. And I think Charles's job is to be that bridge, to be that stability in between 
the two. No one will ever outshine his mother. And I think there's a lot of promise that exists in William and Kate in terms of a younger, energizing factor of the monarchy. And I also think, you know, Charles has been, he, he had a, a difficult road. He was, you know, sort of an, an, a little bit of an awkward young man. There was, I think, issues with, um, you know, his mom was traveling all the time when he was little. And, and then it took years for him to find the right wife to spend his life with. And of course, that didn't work out. That all blew up in the most ugly way possible. It was a fairy tale that was not a fairy tale at all, it turned out. And I think he's kind of come into his own in a maturity in, in his 60s and 70s of finally marrying the woman that he really always loved. And they have a very kind of nice, comfortable, loving relationship. He spoke very fondly of her in this speech today. And I think it's good for the nation and for the monarchy and those who support it that the two of them have this very warm, strong relationship. So I think he's at a totally different stage in his life. And I think he sees his role as continuing that service, uh, the whole, you know, the whole MO of service that his mother laid down and preparing for the next generation as well. We know that Charles, Prince Charles, was fairly political in some ways on climate change out there sort of on the left, I think on migration and immigration issues as well. Uh, I think the expectation is that that all stops immediately. Is that something that you think he has internalized and can do? Uh, I think to a certain extent, you know, I, I think that Charles, um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that he said in the speech today, he said, you know, I have my charities that I've always been very committed to, and I'm going to be moving on from them to a certain extent. And I think that was kind of a signal that some of what he has spoken out about, and I'm sure he feels very strongly about, um, will not be the lead issues that he will speak out about politically, because he kind of can't do that anymore. So I think he was acknowledging in that part of the speech that he will not be speaking in the political role that he has in the past, which irritated some people, might have even irritated his mother that he was so outspoken in some of it. But I also think he was kind of champing at the bit and uncomfortable that it took him so many years. He was in waiting all that time, and it's not a great position for a man to, to be in throughout the you know, the formative and adult years of your life. So I think maybe he was bristling against some of that and was like, I'm going to speak my mind, you know. But today I think he was signaling that he's going to, he's more mature than that now and going to move past that. Queen Elizabeth II dead yesterday at the age of 96. Her eldest son, Charles, now King Charles III. The funeral is coming up in about 10 days' time. Martha McCallum, our colleague here at Fox News, is covering it from London, and she joined us here by phone. We appreciate it. Martha, as always, thank you. Thank you, Guy. Good to be with you. Take care. We will step aside and come right back on The Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. Still to come in the next hour, Kennedy, our friend, turning 50 this week. Her birthday was yesterday. She had a big celebration in Greece A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being there with Adam. We're going to talk to her about life and the passage of time and love and all sorts of things. She's so cool. I can't wait to have that conversation coming up in the happy hour. I do want to first follow up on a story 
that we brought to you yesterday here on the show. I had one of my friends from college, Jack Vrett, who is now running for state house in Illinois as a Republican. He was here in his capacity as a candidate, but also with his background as a veteran, as a prosecutor in the criminal justice system. He and I have been talking offline about this new law in Illinois that goes into effect January 1 of next year. So just a couple months from now, the Democrats who passed it along party lines just rammed it through one party rule in Illinois. No coincidence that a bunch of people are fleeing the state, taxpayers, families, businesses, big businesses that have been there forever, picking up their stakes and leaving because it's a hostile environment for entrepreneurs. It's a hostile environment for business. It's a hostile environment for successful people. They're being driven out by these left-wing demagogues, and it is an increasingly unsafe environment for a lot of people. And so the Democrats passed this law that they are calling the Safety Act, which is a total misnomer, much like the Inflation Reduction Act that we talked about earlier. They talk about it, including the governor, Governor Pritzker, who I think wants to be president, talks about the Safety Act as if it is a paragon of true justice that is helping the state of Illinois move beyond the systemic racism that has characterized their criminal justice system for years in his telling. What it actually does is make things much easier on criminals and much less safe and more dangerous for average people, their victims. And in the act, there's a whole series of crime categories where now cash bail is being eliminated as the default position, including second-degree murder, kidnapping, like major felonies. Prosecutors will now have to jump through extra hoops to get someone held as opposed to released after their booking for these extremely serious crimes. I heard Lawrence Jones talking about this earlier on the news channel, about how a lot of us who support some forms of criminal justice reform, like the Second Chance Act, for example— It's because we believe in redemption and the ability to earn a second chance. What these forms of so-called reform are doing is they're requiring no change in behavior, no shift in one's approach, no contrition or sacrifice or consequence. It's just giving people a very wide berth to commit crimes with relative impunity. And for their consequences for criminal behavior to be significantly diminished. That is not reform in a constructive sense. That is soft on crime or pro-crime policy done in the name of social justice. And it's an outrage and a lot of innocent people have been hurt or killed because of it. And I think it's going to get worse in places like Illinois because of this law. One of the other components that our guest, Jack Vrett, was telling us about is the state will now adopt wholesale a policy in Cook County up by Chicago where police are basically told they are not to chase suspects. They are not to pursue suspects in their car unless they can meet this standard where they can justify it. But as a matter of course, if you see suspicious behavior or speeding or any number of things and you turn on the lights and sirens and the people decide to ignore it and speed up, the cops just give up in a lot of cases. Which brings us to this story 
that I think underscores how dangerous and insane that element of the Safety Act is. This is from a website called CWB Chicago that covers so much of the dysfunction happening in that city, in that area. And the headline is Lakeview Woman Uncovers a Trove of Information About an Armed Robbery Team That Prowled the North Side for Months. And this also comes in the context of the violent assault and robbery in broad daylight in that same neighborhood on the generally thought of as safe or safer north side of Chicago. In the middle of the day, we played you her screams. It was captured on camera from a ring doorbell. This is a similar band of criminals that terrorized north side neighborhoods for months. I'll just read briefly from the story. Six months before prosecutors charged Tyshawn Brownlee with robbing, shooting, and trying to kill Dakota Early on a Lincoln Park street in May, Chicago police already had evidence that someone named Tyshawn Brownlee was linked to a crew of robbers that was carrying out nighttime armed robbery sprees across the north side. At least five times during those six months, Chicago police called off Pursuits of cars linked to the growing robbery pattern, which eventually claimed well over 50 victims. Chicago PD terminated one pursuit about an hour before Brownlee allegedly robbed and shot early while demanding his phone pin. And the road to justice for a Lakeview woman who was robbed by the crew last November has been littered with obstacles erected by the very people who are supposed to be fighting for Chicago's crime victims. So they had information about this assailant for months. And multiple times, at least five times that they have record of, Chicago police called off pursuits of these cars linked to this ring of robbers, including about an hour before this person then robbed someone else and shot him. Because of the rules put in place where the cops are basically meant to feel like the bad guys and the bad guys have effectively free reign. How this is framed in anyone's mind as compassionate or progress is beyond me. Also beyond me is the fact that this absolute outrageous failure in the city of Chicago under Kim Fox and Cook County What a failed experiment it's been. The Democrats all around Illinois said, you know what, let's expand it statewide and make it the law starting January. And they did. That will now be not just a failure of Cook County. It will be all over the state of Illinois very soon, which is what you get with one party Democratic rule on the issue of crime, which is something everyone in this country needs to pay attention to, not just in the city of Chicago. And I think we can see why. In cities and states all across this nation, unfortunately, it's a top tier issue because it's become one. Criminals are feeling empowered because they have been empowered. And it's only going to change if people with other ideas take power, courtesy of voters. And November is coming. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Stay with us.
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Friday edition. Thank you so much for being here. One hour left together until the weekend right here. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is always free of charge, on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at GuyBensonShow. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink which is terrific. We recommend it. In moderation, of course, always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. TheLongDrink.com is their website to see where they're sold near you as they've just exploded. I was talking to my buddy there. He said their sales have exploded. They're now in almost every state, which is very exciting. In fact, when we rolled out the sponsorship now years ago of the happy hour brought to you by the Finnish Long Drink, the first guest we had in studio to help us roll out the sponsorship was our next guest who's with us now. And she, of course, lived up to all the excitement and was talking about the product and created a cocktail, I think, called the Jenny Too Many featuring the long drink. It was very special. And, of course, I'm talking about Kennedy, host of Kennedy on Fox Business Network every Monday through Thursday at Kennedy Nation on social media. Also, yesterday was her birthday and a big one, Kennedy Lovely to have you back. Guy, it was so great to see you two nights ago on your anniversary. Uh, we, I feel like we have traversed so many milestones together, but particularly in the last, like, week and a half. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot. It was like happy birthday, happy anniversary. I was there for your big 5-0 celebration in Greece. You officiated my wedding three years ago. It's just a lot of things for someone that I had not known what, a decade ago, to have grown so close, I think, is something very special. And I think people can tell that we are close and that your friendship does mean a lot to me. I know that goes both ways, which brings me a lot of joy. I do have to say, on Instagram, I had this whole post ready to go to celebrate your 50th, and I had photos of us from a few weeks ago and then also from the wedding, and then Queen Elizabeth died on your birthday, and I just decided, out of respect for one queen, I was going to hold off on honoring another queen for one day. So I posted a day late today, at Guy P. Benson on Instagram, but I meant what I said in the post and what I said in my toast back in Greece a couple weeks ago. You are the coolest person that I know. You are also one of the kindest, and that is a rare thing in our business, and it means so much. Well, I uh, I really love celebrating with you, and I love reliving uh, the pictures from your wedding with Adam because it was the best <laughs> wedding ever. It was so well, much fun, and we got to talk about that in Greece, and we also got to talk about the long drink uh, because there were people with us in Greece who had never had it, and so it was really fun, like, describing what it is and how to drink it and how to pair it, and uh, it was only one of the fun things that happened in Greece. The other, and this is a game that I think everyone should play, is um, 
Emily Campagno went around the table and asked everyone, what month and year did you graduate from high school? And then played a song, didn't tell everyone who it correlated to, and we had to try and guess. And I have to say, you were the best guesser in that game. Well, in fairness, this is a game that I pioneered. It's a party game that we thought of at the house, and we told Emily, and then Emily was the ringleader in Greece, and you can do it with your high school graduation month, your college graduation month, the month of your birth, and what you do is you send the date and the song. You can go and, like, search what was the number one song in America that month, and then there were a whole bunch of us at this journey, this big party for your birthday, and so, yeah, we would then, Emily compiled them all, and then would put together a playlist and play these songs, and you had to try to figure out, okay, whose song was this, when was this song popular, when did it come out, and how would the math work out, who would have been graduating high school right around this time, and there were some real jams out there on that list, and we had so much fun late into the night doing that, I think aided perhaps with a little bit of Prosecco, if I recall correctly. By the way, I do want to just say one thing, because you were talking about the wedding, and you sometimes tell people to their shock, I married him. And we have to clarify, or at least I do, that yes, that happened, but she was the officiant at my wedding. We, the two of us, are indeed not married. But at the wedding, and I I think I've shared this story with a few friends, maybe I told it on the air all the way back three years ago, but it was such a special weekend. We were reminiscing about it earlier in the week here on the show. It was just magical and joyful and fun and moving and emotional, all the things that you want a wedding weekend to be. I did not cry or I was not nervous or scared or like, you know, having this sort of unsettled feeling until literally right before the ceremony started where we all lined up the whole wedding party and I was at the very end. You were right behind me in this procession and the music is playing and you see all these people seated on this lawn overlooking the vineyards in Napa and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks how nervous I was and how momentous this occasion was in my life and you just sort of intuitively sensed, I think, that I was nervous. And it's not an emotion that I'd had until that second, basically. And you had that that sense, and you leaned in and you whispered to me, there's still time. We can run away together right now. <laughs> and I cracked up. It just broke that brief moment of tension in my own mind. And then everything else was perfect after that. And you were stupendous as the officiant, and I just wanted to pay tribute to you once again for the spectacular job that you did. And then, of course, you did it again for our friends Kat, Timp, and Cam, and I feel like you could maybe create a whole side hustle out of this at some point. Yeah, the the pandemic really uh, slowed down my my marriage business, but I was thinking (laughs) about your wedding today, and uh, if if you ever officiate someone's wedding, always – Put everything, always script everything. You really don't want to freestyle at a wedding. There, there are times and places to freestyle. A wedding ceremony, that's that's not it. You really want to go have, you know, not only a solid outline, but but truly a script of everything that should be said because you also uh, keep it nice and tight and you don't go on too long, which, you know, that is not the time and place to do that. But always have a three-ring binder that you can lift up over your face 
when you yourself as the officiant are overcome with emotion at your friend's wedding. Yeah. Now, the most impressive thing that I saw was you were reading from your binder and your your tears were streaming down your face and yet it did not affect your voice. When I start to get choked up, the first thing that goes is my voice. But you were crying, but your voice was unaffected. It was a very impressive performance, and I do recommend Kennedy's services on this front. Kennedy, I do want to ask you, because I've now mentioned it a couple different times, not only was yesterday your birthday, it was your 50th birthday. And setting aside the fact that you look amazing for 50, and you could have told me it was your 40th and I would have believed you, 50 is a big one, I feel like, and... You've done so much in your life, and every time we hang out, I learn something new. There's some other unbelievable anecdote from the life and times of Kennedy that I hadn't heard before where you've just had these different iterations of your career in different places. You've met so many extraordinary people from MTV to Fox News and just an interesting trajectory there. I wonder how much time you spent in and around – the Greece vacation and right around your 50th birthday, reflecting on your life so far. And you have decades to go, of course, and you're going to have all sorts of amazing new memories. But so far, you've done some extraordinary things. Are there any stories or moments in your life beyond sort of the obvious ones, like you know the birth of a child and that kind of thing, that stand out where you say, holy cow, I can't believe that really happened to me? Um. Yes, uh, drinking out of the Stanley Cup uh, when the New York Rangers won in 1994 in the Rangers locker room. That was pretty amazing. Um, Reading uh, Plato in the cell where Socrates drank hemlock and died. Um, That was was pretty insane. Uh, My friend Heidi, whom you met, in Greece, who is a, a phenomenal designer, she reminded me about a couple of stories where I had met Madonna, but also where I kissed Dave Navarro in a coffin and um, happened to be sitting on his handgun. Um, and that was uh, that was one of those ones that you know you just you're like, am I really here right now? What a gem Heidi was! I just have to say, I had not met her before. And you go way back to the MTV days with her, and she's just absolutely fabulous. There was another thing from your many MTV stories. I know you've written about some of them in your book, but you have a song by the Goo Goo Dolls written about you. Is that right? Like one of their famous songs? Yes, that was their first number one hit. And uh, they were having a, a tough time financially, and, you know, they were kind of toying with the idea of calling it quits at that point. And then, you know, Johnny was at home writing a bunch and uh, we had had a pretty non-physical dalliance and um, it didn't go past first base at all. And, you know, (laughs) we shared this beautiful moment and, you know, the two of us will never forget it. And he memorialized it in a song called Meme. And the name is actually you, right? That's wild. Yes. Who is the most insane person that you have in your phone? Like where you're like, I can't believe if I want to, I could just text this person. Because you must have (laughs) quite a Rolodex. Um, Well, 
Um, it's funny because I've known him for so long, and you know we message a lot, and we've known each other since the very beginning of my time at MTV. But probably Kelly Slater, uh, just because huh. since I've known him, he is he's become so famous he's almost mythical, especially to surfers. Um, so I think it's really funny because Heidi actually knows Kelly really, really well. Like she has stories about Kelly as he was growing up. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I am deeply inspired by him. Like he always tells me stories. He's one of those people that is so good at what he does because he collects ways of being even better. And he's, he's, he's very much into visualization. So if you're trying to improve at something, don't dismiss the idea of visualizing yourself doing that perfectly. Tomorrow I'm going to race in a triathlon, and, and part of my race strategy is the night before and the morning of, I picture myself doing all three events really, really well, and I connect with the time where I actually swam fast and bike fast so I can feel those things in my mind and and tell my body to remember that. And, you know, it really helps in the race. And Kelly told me one time that he sometimes before a competition in his mind, he'll meditate and picture on the beach, the word no written in the sand over and over again. And he says he goes over to every single one and turns it to yes. And uh, so that why not me mentality, I, I try and adopt. And try and so remember you visualize it. it. You visualize it, and then you manifest it. And you've done a lot of that in your life already. An incredible life through these fifty years so far and counting. There was so much love in Greece for that celebration, including some of our colleagues. What a time we all had together. Adam and I were thrilled to be included and invited. So thank you for that, Kennedy. And I can't wait for the next adventure with you. The good ones got to stick together, and there's always an adventure around the corner. No matter what you're going through, always remember that. There's something ahead that will blow your mind in the best way possible. Oh, we love it. And with that, to one of our queens here at The Guy Benson Show, Kennedy, happy birthday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. I love you. Thank you, Guy. Love you, too. It's The Guy Benson Show. Happy hour. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It is the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today in the House of Commons in London, various MPs gave tributes to the Queen, and there were a few that stood out. One soundbite that I'd like to play for you briefly here comes from the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, from whom... We heard earlier in the week on this show, I have to say, leading into the week, I did not expect that we would play two separate sound bites from the former prime minister of the UK in one week. But here we are. So to remind you, Theresa May was the conservative prime minister before Boris Johnson, who is the prime minister before Liz Truss, who was just installed this week. Theresa May couldn't get Brexit done. She was a remainer. And so she was overthrown by the party, but she remains a member of parliament. And she joined up and teamed up with Truss earlier in the week to troll the Labour Party about how all three female prime ministers in the history of the UK have been conservative. And we enjoyed that clip. And then earlier today, 
from the Tory benches, she stood up and she read her speech, her memory of the Queen with whom she met every week in their traditional audience. I think prime ministers and former prime ministers have a special insight into the Queen because they have quiet one-on-one time on a weekly basis with her in which they discuss all sorts of matters of national and international import and even things in their personal life, reportedly. And in recounting a story about one experience that Mrs. May had with the Queen, she got quite a few laughs. This was not actually an anecdote from one of their audiences at the palace. This was at an event where Theresa May explained that she made a little mistake and turned around to her horror to discover that you-know-who had been watching. What a great story this is. Cut 25. I remember one picnic at Balmoral which was taking place in one of the bosses on the estate. The hampers came from the castle and we all mucked in to put the food and drink out on the table. I picked up some cheese, put it on a plate and was transferring it to the table. The cheese fell on the floor. (laughs) I had a split-second decision to make. (laughs) I picked up the cheese, put it on the plate and put it on the table. (laughs) And I turned round to see that my every move (laughs) had been watched very carefully by Her Majesty the Queen. I looked at her, she looked at me, (laughs) and she just smiled. And the cheese stayed on the table for guests to consume. Their little secret. A snippet, a humanizing vignette told very well with good timing from the former Prime Minister, Theresa May. Her immediate successor, Boris Johnson, also spoke at great length today in an incredibly moving and articulate tribute to the departed Queen, I would like to play some of it for you when we come back. It is The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Stay tuned. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Almost to the weekend together here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our website, podcast-free, every day on demand, including bonus Benson on the weekends. At Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram, if you'd like to follow us there. Well, in the last segment, I played that little clip from Theresa May, the former PM over in the UK. A part of her remarks, a funny story about a little interaction, a playful interaction she had with Queen Elizabeth II. Another speaker in the House of Commons earlier was Boris Johnson, who until just a few days ago was the prime minister who presided over a very significant period over a couple years in modern British history. And he's sometimes seen as this jovial, chaotic, cartoonish guy. But there is a reason why he has been so successful in his political career. He is charming. He is very eloquent. And he can rise to the moment when it's really necessary. And he rose to the moment today. He spoke very fondly of the queen. And I think for a lot of Americans who might struggle to understand how much she meant to the British people, 
listening to Boris's words at least helped me understand it a little bit better. We don't have time to play the entire speech. It was more than eight minutes long. But I do want to play a few long passages for you because I think clearly he put a lot of thought into this and it was very well received. Let's start with cut 17. A few months ago, the BBC came to see me to talk about Her Majesty the Queen and we sat down and the cameras started rolling and they requested that I should talk about her in the past tense. And I'm afraid I simply choked up and I couldn't go on. I'm really not easily moved to tears. But I was so overcome with sadness that I had to ask them to go away. And I know that today there are countless people in this country and around the world who have experienced the same sudden access of unexpected emotion. And I think millions of us are trying to understand why we are feeling this deep and personal and almost familial sense of loss. Perhaps it's partly that she's always been there, a changeless human reference point in British life. The person who, all the surveys say, appears most often in our dreams, so unvarying in her pole star radiance that we have perhaps been lulled into thinking that she might be in some way eternal. He's hitting on something here that I think speaks not only to the British people, but to a lot of people who admired or respected the Queen from afar. Being on the throne for 70 years, she became this dignified pillar of almost comforting continuity in a world racked with change and turmoil. She was a quiet constant. And to then lose her, as was inevitable, and everyone knew it was coming, was still something of a shock, even though she was 96. A lot of people were just sort of shaken. She's been there seemingly forever, and now she's not there anymore. Johnson goes on and cut 18. But I think our shock is keener today because we are coming to understand in her death the full magnitude of what she did for us all. And think of what we asked that 25-year-old woman all those years ago. To be the person so globally trusted that her image should be on every unit of our currency, every postage stamp, the person in whose name all justice is dispensed in this country, every law passed, to whom every minister of the Crown swears allegiance, and for whom every member of our armed services is pledged, if necessary, to lay down their lives. He went on to say that the Queen showed the world how to give, how to love, and how to serve. I think service is a word that we're hearing over and over again in connection with her for good reason. Later on, the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson said this in Cut 21. And over that extraordinary span of public service, with her naturally retentive and inquiring mind, I think, and doubtless many of the 15 would agree, that she became the greatest statesman and diplomat of all. And she knew instinctively how to cheer up the nation, how to lead a celebration. I 
remember uh, Innocent Joy more than ten years ago after the opening ceremony of the London Olympics, when I told her that the leader of a friendly Middle Eastern country seemed actually to believe that she had jumped out of a helicopter (laughs) in a pink dress and parachuted into the stadium. And I remember her equal pleasure on being told just a few weeks ago that she had been a smash hit in her performance with Paddington Bear. And we talked about both of those on the show yesterday. And Boris saw fit to include those examples in his remarks. Then toward the end, this is how Johnson wrapped up and cut 23. And it was that indomitability, that humor, that work ethic, and that sense of history, which together made her Elizabeth the Great. And when I call her that, I should add one, Elizabeth the Great, I should add one final quality, of course, which was her humility, her single-bar electric fire Tupperware using refusal to be grand. And unlike us politicians, with our outriders and our armour-plated convoys, I can tell you, as a direct eyewitness, that she drove herself in her own car with no detectives and no bodyguard, bouncing at alarming speed over the Scottish landscape to the total amazement of the ramblers and the tourists we encountered. And it is that indomitable spirit with which she created the modern constitutional monarchy. And he closed with Cut 24. An institution so strong and so happy and so well understood, not just in this country, but in the Commonwealth and around the world, that the succession has already seamlessly taken place. And I believe she would regard it as her own highest achievement, that her son, Charles III, will clearly and amply follow her own extraordinary standards of duty and service. And the fact that today we can say with such confidence, God save the king, is a tribute to him, but above all to Elizabeth the Great, who worked so hard for the good of her country, not just now, but for generations to come. That is why we mourn her so deeply. And it is in the depths of our grief that we understand why we loved her so much. Elizabeth the Great. Hear, hear. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson today in the House of Commons with his words about the Queen who passed away yesterday at the age of 96. Our home stretch is coming up next on The Guy Benson Show, changing gears entirely. Producer Christine has a sudden onset passion, brand new. This one caught me by surprise. We'll tell you about it next. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thanks for being here. Over the weekend, I'll be a guest on Wall Street Journal at large on Fox News. Don't get too excited, Wyatt. It replays a couple of times over the course of the weekend, so I'll see you there talking about the news of the week, including the passing of the Queen and some other events closer to home. Our website here on the radio show, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcasts always free on demand when the show is over. Bonus Benson on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Well, we played here on the broadcast 
as our bumper song into this home stretch, the NFL on Fox theme song, which of course is fantastic, highly recognizable. We played it yesterday as well, previewing the first game of the season. Bills at Rams, and what a win for Buffalo. Wasn't really close. They look great taking down the defending champs on the road. And Dan and I talked about it on the air a little bit, talked about the slate of games coming up on Sunday. And whenever sports comes up on this show, I just envision Christine, like, tuning out and crocheting or something. She has no interest in sports. She doesn't understand sports. It is not something that she cares about. Or maybe I should use all of those words now in the past tense. Because much to my shock, Cookie decided for some reason to watch the game last night with real interest and ask her husband Bobby to explain the rules of football. And she got so into it that she is now openly talking about becoming an actual NFL football fan and is in the market for picking a team that she wants to root for. And she sounded very passionate about this. And she had some interesting insights into the game. Coach Cookie all of a sudden talking about X's and O's. So, Christine, I just want to start with this simple question. You've been on this earth for, what, four to six decades at this point. And you have never shown any interest in football. It's just something that happens in the background that you think men watch. What was it about game one of this season, Buffalo at Los Angeles, that made you, like, not a playoff game, not a Super Bowl, this game? What inspired you to at least pay more attention and try this time? There was nothing that inspired me. Bobby and I just sat down and I said, oh, what are you watching? And he said, the game. And I said, okay. And I said, you know what? Let me watch with you. And he goes, seriously? And I'm like, let me put my phone away. Can Will you explain this game to me? And he goes, yeah, any questions you have. So for the next, like, three to four hours, I learned everything there is well, to know about football. Okay, you're an expert now. I, I said to Dan, quiz me. And he did, and I, I answered the question correctly. So you had just allowed this huge national obsession to pass you by as like background noise for years. And did you know some things that you didn't realize you knew just by osmosis or were you really just clueless about this game until you watched carefully and Bobby started to explain? Well, I think we started watching that show Friday Night Lights and I think that probably piqued my curiosity. Uh, Okay, that makes some sense. All right, so... You like the show, mm-hmm. I assume, Friday Night Lights. Love it. Okay, and then like, okay, why are people so passionate about the sport? So you caught a pretty good game between two very good teams. It was a great game. What were some of the things that you got into? Okay, <clears throat> I want to talk about, I don't understand. So here's some questions I have. Um, okay, so Bobby said every day, was it down, you have to go 10 yards, Correct. Well, the goal is to advance the ball 10 yards to achieve a first down, to get a new set of downs. Right, and you have four tries, correct? Correct. Okay, why not try for more so you can get closer to the goal? Well, they do. right? They often do, and sometimes they have big plays. You don't try for a big play every time, right? You have to sort of try to fool the defense, but 
you'll have big, giant 70-yard plays for touchdowns sometimes, and other times you're just handing the ball off to the running back and trying to get three or four yards. It's kind of situational. Okay, that was another thing. So, like, the quarterback would go, hut, hut, whatever, and he was holding <laughs> he was holding the ball, and it looked like he was going to pass it. And then all of a sudden he put the ball on the other side and then threw it. I'm like, oh, my God, he tricked the other guys. And Bobby said that was a play. Like, that's play action. Yep. And then how come how come you can't pull down a guy? Like, how come if a guy has the ball and he's running, how come I couldn't just go and, like, pull down a shirt and pull him down? Well, that's called a tackle, and actually that's what you have to do. No, 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 no. But there was some guy yesterday uh, had a penalty because of holding, and it was because he held on to the shirt and pulled him down. Oh, because he didn't have the ball. No, 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 no. He did not have the ball, the other guy. Yeah, so you, you're allowed to tackle someone who has the ball. That's the point. But someone who doesn't have the ball, you can block them, but you cannot hold them. You cannot sort of tackle them and impede their ability to play their position. That is holding. That's a penalty. So what's the difference between that and then interference? Pass interference is when the defender interferes, at least defensive pass interference, when the defender interferes with the person trying to catch the ball. You can't sort of hit them or have contact before the ball arrives as to prevent them from having an ability to make a play and catch the ball. That's then, not allowed. So, But you can interfere where you can get the ball, correct? You can you can intercept the ball, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. And then also, um, I like that it's handy on TV. Uh, Bobby would tell me, okay, see that blue line? They need to get to the blue line. Or see that yellow line? They get, need to get to the yellow line. Now, one more thing. After the third try... And they're third not down. anywhere near. Oh, is that what? Down. Okay. After the third down, how come sometimes this other guy comes on and just kicks it into a field? The punter. Yeah. The punter, right. So Instead of trying you, to get a goal. Instead of trying to get a first down, you mean? Yeah, like he just punts it and it goes nowhere. Well, it, it goes actually pretty far, which, and the point of that is, if it's fourth down, it's your last try. If you still have a long way to go until the yellow line and you don't get it, then the other team gets the ball right there and they're much closer to your end zone. So you punt it so that they're much farther away and they have to work harder to score in the other direction. Uh, that's why okay. punting is strategic, yes. Okay, and so that guy, the kicker guy, that's his only job. Like, he doesn't have to do anything else. He just comes out after and the goal punts. and hits it. Or punts. Yeah, the punter is basically a one-trick pony, but it's a very important play. It's a very important position in terms of field positioning. And then there's also a kicker who will do the kickoffs after touchdowns, and he's also the one who will kick the field goals or the extra points through the uprights. That's a different guy usually. Oh, okay. The kicker, place kicker versus punter. Now, how long do we have, Dan? Not that long. a minute. Oh, no, I've got more questions. Also, okay, here, I'm just going to go through them, and we could talk about it next uh, week. Um, they never break for snack. Do you think that they get hungry? Because I keep saying to Bobby, these are big boys. Like, when do they get to eat something? Also, how do they use the restroom? Like, when do they have time to do that? How come they're not um, protecting their quarterback more? Like, sometimes a quarterback got sacked. Like, that should never happen. There you go. You sound like an offensive line coach. I mean, it's like it's like we're talking to the late John Madden here in the person of Cookie who has just discovered football. <laughs> Earlier, Dan was saying it's like someone who discovered fire for the first time. It's like, ooh, and there's, there's warmth from this, these flickering things. 
Christine, will you be watching on Sunday the slate of games? Oh, yeah. I'm excited for the Pats and the Dolphins. And then I can't wait to see Tommy Sunday night. With the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm curious to see which team you pick as your team. They'll be so lucky when you land on that franchise. We'll have to pick up this conversation. Christine suddenly, out of nowhere, against the odds, super into football. Fascinating. Maybe we'll revisit it on Monday, where there's also football, Monday night football. There's so much football, Christine. If you're now a fan, you're going to be very pleased with the offerings for the next number of months. All right, we got to leave it there. Well, I'm, I am pleasantly surprised. Back here on Monday for a brand new week and edition of The Guy Benson Show. In the meantime, have a wonderful weekend, and thank you for listening. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.